Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 tonight. So I know that you brought your Bibles because you're Bible-believing Christians. You would never come to church without your Bible. And if you did, it's all right. We got it up there for you so you know I'm not lying to you. Philippians chapter 3. That's a good thing. Bring your Bible with you to church. Keep the preacher honest. Bring the Bible with you to church. Make sure that you know what we're preaching is actually in there, okay? Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. The title of my sermon tonight is going along the what if theme of our series. What if? Say what if. What if? Nah, that, was, that was good. Now I want to hear you say it like you mean it. What if? What if? What if I let go of my past? What if I let go of my past? Pastor Keenan talked last week about what if I go all in on my relationship with God and you cannot go all in on a relationship with Jesus Christ while still living in your past. You cannot go all in on the man who died for your sins and raised from the dead to forgive you of the very past you're constantly trying to live and walk into. You cannot walk in power when you're busy living in a powerless past. You can't walk in the authority of Jesus when you're busy living in the past and the mistakes that you've come from. What if I let go of my past? What if I let go of my previous sin? What if I let go of the shame of my past? What if I let go of what other people did to me? All right, I'm just going to read the Bible. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, Paul says this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Father, this is your word, not mine. These are your people, not mine. So I pray, Holy Spirit, right now you come invade this service and preach better messages than I can to their hearts this entire time. In the name of Jesus, amen. We started a series asking a very simple yet powerful question. What if? What if is a good question because what follows what if always requires a little bit of faith to do what it is that we need to do. What if I actually believed? What if I actually asked? What if I actually said? What if I actually stepped across the parking lot and talked to the person I feel like God is telling me to talk to him about? What if I actually did what I felt? What if? What if I believed what Jesus actually said? What if I clung to the promises of the Father instead of the pains of my past? What if I actually did what it was I was called to do instead of doing what it is I'm comfortable with? What would happen with my life if I actually gave out of the overflow instead of giving? Giving out of my lack? What if I actually did with my life what God anointed me to do instead of doing with my life what someone else told me I should do? What if? It's a powerful question. But what follows that question is even more powerful based upon whether or not you actually do it. There is no authority in the question. The authority is done when you walk out the answer. There is no authority in asking what if. I could have said all day long, what if I asked Samantha to go out with me? What if I asked her to marry me? What if I took her to Rome to the Trevi Fountain and got down on one knee and proposed to that girl? What if I went and spent an obscene amount of money on a ring? What if I did, what if? There's no authority in those things, but there's authority when I walk over to a girl and go, hey, would you like to go out with me? Hey, would you, would you go to Rome with me? Hey, would you marry me? 
Hey, would you help me raise a family? Hey, would you grow old with me? Hey, would you go with me through better or for worse? There's authority when you start walking out the answer that follows the what if. What if is a great thing, but it doesn't do a hill of beans for you if you're not willing to walk out the answers. What if's a great question. What if is a great starter, but it gets you nowhere. What if I let go of my past and actually walked into the presence and walked into the power and walked into the promises? What if I walked forward? Tonight, there's three things I want to talk to you about that are the killers of forward. The things that kill your ability to move forward in what God has. Not what if God has, it is what God has. But these three things keep us from moving forward. But why is forward so easy to talk about but so hard to do? Because in order to move, in order to move forward, you can't look back. In order to take the land you are called to, you have to leave the places that you have been. You can't dwell in your past and walk into God's call for your future. Pastor Kenyon used this verse last week, Luke 9, 62. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to a plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You can't work in a harvest field expecting to reap a harvest while dwelling on what kept you out of the harvest field to begin with. Can I get an amen from somebody over here? Don't be afraid to shout me down. I like people who talk back to me while I preach. That's fine. We know the harvest is plentiful. We know the workers are few. So we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field so when the Lord of the harvest sends us out to reap the harvest, we can't be looking back at what kept us from being in the field in the first place. We all know Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, but let me read it to you anyways. It says, forget the former things. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? You notice there's a question mark. There's a question mark at the end of the verse. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. I I was reading this verse, and I like to, I'm a visual person. So when I'm reading the verse, I start asking myself, why is it that God declares, I'm doing a new thing? Forget the past. That's not a question. That's a command. I'm doing a new thing. That's a promise. And he says, it springs up now. That's a declaration of the present. And then he says, don't you perceive it? Why is there a question? The only reason I can fathom why God would ask if I didn't perceive it or not. Did you perceive the new thing that just sprung up in front of you? The only reason you wouldn't perceive what's springing up in front of you is if you're walking like this. And you're walking and you're walking and it springs up in front of you. And what happens? You walk right over the very thing that you've been praying for for the last 20 years because you're too busy looking in the past. And God said, I'm doing it now. Don't you perceive it, but you're too busy going, yeah, but God, remember the good old days? Remember back then when you did that? That was really cool. But God, remember when they said that? That really hurt my feelings. God, do you remember the promise? I haven't received my promise. And God goes, but it's springing up now. The only reason we wouldn't perceive it is if we're too busy looking behind us. You can't take a promised land while looking back at Egypt. See, the reason that God was saying this in Isaiah 43 was because Israel had gotten all caught up remembering the good things that God had done, remembering the previous miracles that he had performed, remembering the Red Sea, remembering all the manna, remembering the water from a rock. They had gotten so good at reciting what God had already done, they were missing what it was he was doing. 
Forget the former things. What is it about former things that are so captivating? Why is it that the past is so captivating to us? The first thing is because we remember the good old days. Anyone ever had good old days? Let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. Put them up proud. Come on. I got good old, I got good old days. You know why they call them the good old days? Because they were good. No one goes, man, those bad old days, those were just, wow. No one talks about the rough old days or the difficult, they talk about the good old days. But you know what the best part about the good old days is? They're old. They're gone. They're in the past. They're not coming back. I don't care what kind of car you drove back then. They don't make it anymore. Let it go. You need to get in something today. The other reason it's hard to let go of the past is because we start comparing the past to our present. I'm just going to make a quick statement. I'm going to move on from this one. You can't sail today's ship on yesterday's wind. Quit comparing what was to what is now. Because what was was what God was doing then. But what's today is what God's doing now. So quit trying to tell what today, quit talking about today, telling today what happened yesterday. Today doesn't care about yesterday. Yesterday is gone. Today is here. Tomorrow's got enough problems of its own. So don't worry about that. Take care of today. Every day that I dwell on former things, I miss opportunities for future things. How many new opportunities have I missed because I was living in what has already happened in my life? The first thing. The first thing from our past, the first thing we need to let go of, the first what if I want to talk about is what if I forgave? What if I forgave? The first killer of forward is unforgiveness. What if I just forgave what they did? What if I just forgave what they said? What if I just forgave what happened to me? Let me tell you something about unforgiveness. Let me tell you what unforgiveness tells me. Let me, let, me, let me just say, let me tell you what unforgiveness says about you. When you don't forgive, it shouts that the pain that person caused me is more important to me than the person that caused the pain. When you don't forgive, you're not saying that, that what you're saying is, is that the pain they caused me is more important than the person who caused it. Can I tell you, pain isn't eternal, but people are. So when you try to go to heaven carrying their pain, you're not going through the pearly gates with their pain, but they may make it because they carry an eternal value. So quit trying to carry pain that people cause. Forgive and let them go into heaven. Come on now, somebody. You got to understand. You got to understand that people matter more than pain. And so when you don't forgive, what you're saying is, is what you did to me, that matters more than you. So I'm going to hold on to this and I'm going to push you away and I'm going to make you pay for the pain you caused. And all you're doing is showing that we don't really love people like Jesus loved people. How is it that Jesus, who has been hung on the cross, he had just been bitten and spit upon, his beard had been ripped out, God the Father turns his head because the sin of the world is hanging on him. The very soldiers who put him on the cross are gambling over his clothes. Jesus is hanging there and he says these words, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Father, please forgive them. They don't know. I know what's going on. 
You know what's going on. He looks 2,000 years down the road at you and me. And he goes, they matter. So instead of harboring bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they have just done. When we don't forgive past offenses and pains, we're not saying... We're not saying how hurt our heart is. We're declaring how little that person holds value to us. So what if I let go? What if I actually forgave? What if I actually let God the Father come into my heart and grab his scalpel and do some work on my heart? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Cut it between bone and marrow, spirit and flesh. Let the, let the God of the universe do some work on your heart. Let him do some work on some forgiveness in you. Because if you can forgive, you can move past what it is that's happened. And you can understand not only do you hold enough value to receive forgiveness, they hold enough value to you for you to give forgive, forgiveness. God. When I start reciting my past... I can articulate in details the wrongs that were done to me. How I was cheated and I was hurt and I was stabbed in the back and I was lied about. I can tell you who said it, who they told, how I was done wrong, and how I was victimized. But I cannot walk as a conqueror when I'm busy speaking like a victim. Can I tell you something about conquerors? They learn from their past. They don't live in their past. Someone needs to write that down, get it tattooed, do something, tweet it out. I don't care. You cannot live in your past and walk as a conqueror. I've been called to live as more than a conqueror, so I can't live in my past. You know what victims do? Victims claim their identity from what was done to them, but victors get their identity from what they have conquered and overcome. Victims claim their identity. They walk in the very identity because of what other people did to them. But people who walk as conquerors get their identity from what they have conquered and they have overcome. Victims shift the blame. They love to shift the blame. They can never take responsibility for their own choices. The very first blame shifter to ever walk the planet, his name was Adam. Something goes on in the garden. God gave Adam responsibility and authority in the garden, and sin entered the garden, and God comes down and goes, Adam, what's going on? And Adam goes, it was the woman you gave me, Lord. It was her. That one right there. That one over there. And he says, it was the woman you gave me. He doesn't even blame Eve. He blames God. He goes, you gave me this woman, and you only made one of her. I had no other choice. That was your bad. You didn't make two of them. I wanted a brunette. You gave me her. That's your bad, not mine. Victims love to shift the blame. They can never take responsibility, but people who walk as conquerors praise through the pain. Paul and Silas are walking around a city and they're performing miracles and there's a girl who had followed them around for three days shouting things at them, about them, behind their back at the top of her lungs. And on the third day, Paul got so fed up with it, he turned around and he cast the demon out of the girl. And the people who owned that slave girl who made money because the demon gave her the ability to tell the future and to tell fortunes, they got so mad at Paul and Silas that they threw him in prison. But instead of going, oh, woe is me, I can't believe this, I've done a good thing, and look at me, now I'm in jail, what do they do? They begin to praise. 
And when you praise through your pain, you don't understand the walls are going to come down, the chains that will shake free, the jails you'll be let out of, and the prisons you'll be set free from. When you can learn how to praise through pain, you can walk as a conqueror through any situation. You don't need to live like a victim. You can walk as a conqueror. Victims love to recite what others did or did not do. Victims will tell you all day long what people did or did not do for them. Jesus walks down to the pool of Bethesda, and he walks up to a man who's been lame. He's been there his entire life, and he goes, do you want to be made well? And the first thing out of the dude's mouth is, well, hey, look, nobody else is helping me get down to the pool. I can't get down there. He runs down there first. They get down there before me. That dude's only been here three days, and he got there before I did. He got the blessing. I've been here longer than him, and he got the blessing. He's reciting what other people haven't done for him. But people who walk as conquerors, they declare what God will do. David steps out in the middle of a valley, and he faces a, he faces a giant named Goliath. His exact words are, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. He doesn't walk out and talk about what Eliab didn't do or what King Saul hadn't done or what everyone else hadn't done yet. They didn't fight you because they're scared. Did you understand? I'm anointed king, and I'm supposed to be back home with the sheep. Why didn't y'all just kill this Goliath? Why do I have to? He walked out and he said, God's going to give you to me. The Lord will deliver you into my hands. There is a significant difference between people who live as victims and people who walk as conquerors. One of the greatest ways you can walk as a conqueror is letting go of unforgiveness. People who hold on to bitterness and resentment and shame, the people who hold on to that stuff, they're victims and they carry a victim mentality. And you'll never be able to live as a conqueror with a victim mentality. Write this down. This is free. This is extra. This is just something that I put down in my notes. Write this down. I can't take my promised land if I keep reciting what I feel I was owed in Egypt. If God is your provider, Egypt never was. Quit reciting what you feel you were owed by a place that was never meant to be your provision. Quit reciting what you feel like you were owed by a place that was never meant to be your provision. Egypt was never meant to be Israel's provision. There was a land flowing with milk and honey that God had promised hundreds of years before. You cannot look back at Egypt and go, you owe me. God goes, they never owed you nothing. I'm your provider. Let's go this way. Forward requires forgiveness. Forward requires forgiveness. Sometimes moving forward means reconciling broken relationships. And I'm not going to touch long on this, but there are some relationships in your life that you need to forgive and be reconciled to because you need them for what God has called you to do in your life. But then there are some relationships in your life you need to forgive and leave alone because they're not going where you're going. They're not a part of your journey. Joseph... Joseph forgave and was reconciled to his brothers, but he was never reconciled to Potiphar's wife. You need to know the difference. Joseph was reconciled to his older brothers who had sold him into slavery and to his father who thought he was dead. Joseph was reconciled to them and he saved them from a famine. But Potiphar's wife, we never hear another word about her because she wasn't a part of his story after that. You need to know who to forgive and be reconciled to and who to forgive and leave alone. You can't walk in God's forgiveness if you don't give 
forgiveness. Matthew 6, 15 says, if you don't forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. But Pastor Ryan, you don't know what they did to me. You're right. I don't know what they did to you, but I don't know what you did that put Jesus on the cross either. And he still forgave you. So if he put there, if you put him there, he forgave you, you need to forgive them for what it is that they've done to you. Let me just give you a practical illustration. You want to help me out? Nope. I ain't asking you. G, you want to help me out? Come on, G. Come here. This is Gazal. Come here, Gazal. Come on, man. This is real simple. You don't got to talk, I promise. You don't have to say a word. This is a very, pra I'm, a, I'm a practical illustration person. This is how I love it. Now, this is how we're supposed to live. Hands out, open, ready to give, receive, whatever it is that God has. But the moment that somebody hurts us and the moment that somebody does something bad to us and we choose not to forgive, what we do is we pick up offense. You think you're just going to hold it like that the whole time? I see you. Okay. How long are you going to hold it? It depends on how long you don't want to forgive. Walk with me. So this is what happens. Come on, walk with me. Yeah, we're walking. Your legs work. So when we choose not to forgive, we start walking down the path of life. And we see opportunities, but we can't take those opportunities. Yeah, we're going down the stairs. Come on. You see those opportunities. You can't take those opportunities because your hands are too busy holding something that somebody did to you in your past. You can't do what it is that God is calling you to do with your hands when your hands are too busy doing what you want to do. Yeah. Holding on to the things you want to hold up. Can you imagine what would happen right now if at this very moment I turned around and wanted to give him a $100 bill? What would he have to do? Uh, have to put it down. But some of us go, God, I need provision. God goes, you need empty hands first. No, I don't want to let it go. Come on. Come on. And we get going all the way back around. Now we're going back up the stairs. Come on now. We come all the way back around to another situation. Somebody else does this wrong. Somebody else hurts us. Pastor Ryan talked about unforgiveness. Pastor Ryan talked about letting go of past pains. But because I haven't let go of the first one, I don't know how to let go of the second one. Come on. I'm just playing. This is going right here. I'm just playing. Hold on. Don't put it down yet. Is that heavy? You had a nice clean shirt on. It's dirty now, isn't it? You got all this residue all over the place. You got to go home tonight and clean up and shower. Would you like to put that down? You know how easy that would be? Don't drop it. I'm going to get in trouble. Put it down. Go ahead. Put it down. Put it down. Now check this out. When you and I are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, how in the world can we expect to be the hands and feet of Jesus when we're too busy carrying around past pains from somebody else from 15 years ago? How can you and I expect to lay hands on somebody and have the Spirit of God move through us if our hands are busy holding bitterness? How is it that we can expect to come along behind the next generation and lay hands and say, God bless them and use them and anoint them and send them to the nations and fill them with your spirit when my hands are too busy carrying unforgiveness from somebody of my own past? You know the word spirit gives birth to spirit. What it is you carry is what it is you have to hand off to the next generation. And if you're not going to let go of what is done, you're going to hand that to the next generation. Don't make your children carry your pain. Put it down and hand them something that they can conquer with. Thank you, sir. There is no point in living in a graveyard of past hurts when God needs you to, in a harvest field. Yeah. 
You know the man who was filled with legion? He never went back to the graves and the chains that he lived on. He went to become a missionary to 10 cities. Paul never went back to the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. He became a church planner. Shout out to my church planner. Once you realize the magnitude and the kingdom impact that God has in store for those who believe and forgive, you won't ever go back to previous hurts. The second killer of forward is shame. The second killer of forward is shame. What if I let go of my shame? I was praying in preparation for this word. I asked myself, why, why is it that I have such a hard time letting go of my past? Or why do I have such a hard time moving on from my past? And the first word that popped in my mind was shame. I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm ashamed of the sin of my life. And the devil wants me to live in my shame so I can't walk as a conqueror. God isn't glorified in my shame. God isn't glorified in anything that has happened. God is glorified in my redemption. God is glorified when, when I walk in restoration. He is magnified when I share my testimony of his healing in my life and his forgiveness for my sin. Let me tell you something about shame. Shame presents itself as a deserved punishment that we have earned from our sin. It tries to justify itself by reciting your sin, by replaying your mistakes, and by projecting your insecurities. Shame keeps you chained to the very thing Jesus hung on the cross for. Shame tells you that you have to pay for the mistake that Jesus died for. Shame attempts to make Jesus' sacrifice insufficient by telling you you owe more than what he already paid. It's a lie. The blood of Jesus is enough. His grace is sufficient. His mercy is new every morning, and his sacrifice satisfies the debt that my sin accrued. Shame is a liar. Psalm 103, chapter 12, or Psalm chapter 103, verse 12, says, as far as the east is from the west. We're going to read this part together. Everybody read it out loud with me. Ready? Go. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If God went through all the effort of searching heaven and looking around all of heaven to find his very best, to send his very best, to die for our sins so we can be forgiven, why do we continuously try to travel the journey that God put between me and my sin? Why do I keep trying to travel the distance that he has put between me and my past? What if I let go of my past? What if you let go of your shame? Some of us love our shame because it keeps us warm at night. Some of us love our shame because we feel we owe it. You feel like you're punishing yourself for what you've already done. You don't need that. Jesus already took that beating. You don't have to take that beating every single night. you got to let it go. Amen. Do you realize how exhausting this is? That if you're going to put that much effort into something, put it into moving forward in God's call. You only have so much energy to put out, so you can either put it into conquering new land or digging up your past. But you can't do both. Let me tell you something about shame. Shame is a terrible travel companion. And some of you wake up and walk with him every single day. The only problem with shame is he ain't going forward. The only direction he goes is backwards. You need to let go of your shame. But Pastor Ryan, you don't understand. I go to bed at night and I see the things I've done. I understand I've been there. 
You know why the devil reminds you of what it is that you've done? It's not to stop you from walking in your future. It's to paralyze you for your present. You know why the devil wants you to live in shame? It's not because he, he, he's trying to keep you from knowing what it is that God has for your future. It's because he's trying to stop you from living today. Because if he can paralyze you today, you'll never walk into your future. I'm going to remind you of what you've done so you live in such shame that you sit under this guilt and this heaviness every single day. You can't walk across the street and tell somebody because you feel like a hypocrite. Can I tell you? You have been forgiven for that sin. Jesus hung on that cross. He paid that price so you can walk in victory into what it is that he has called you to. Trust me, I understand shame. I get it. I get shame. I've been there. Hit me right here every single day like a ton of bricks. What, what helped me get rid of my shame? What helped me walk away from my shame? I believe what God said. Yeah. I'm forgiven. I'm free. I don't have to keep traveling back into what I've done because he told me what he was going to do. The last thing. Worship team, you guys can come up. last thing I want to talk about tonight in the little time I have left. The last killer of moving forward is secret sin. Oh, Pastor Ryan, you didn't just say that, did you? Yep, I'm going to say it again. Watch. Secret sin. Oh, there it was again. There it was again. I'm going to say it a third time because some of you guys are starting to get an image in your mind. The Holy Spirit starting to speak to your heart right now about what it is he wants to deal with in your heart tonight. Right now at this altar, he wants to deal with some stuff in your life. It's called secret sin. And secret sin is what I don't know about, Pastor Keenan doesn't know about, your husband doesn't know about, your wife doesn't know about, your coworkers don't know about, your brother and sister don't know about. The only one who knows about it is you and Jesus. See, it's only a secret to the rest of the world. It ain't a secret from God. Can I tell you a secret? God knows everything. It's only a secret because you're choosing to keep it in a closet. And every night when you get lonely, you go in that closet and you pull it out. Guess who's in that room every night with you when you pull that out? Jesus. You know who's waiting for you to let go of that secret sin? Jesus. You know who's got nail scars in his hands and in his feet and his spear side? For that secret sin, Jesus. What if I let go and let God actually deal with my secret sin? Numbers chapter 12 has got a powerful story of the way God deals with secret sin. Numbers chapter 12. I only have verse 15, so don't throw it up there. Wait till I get to verse 15. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. I don't know what was wrong with the Cushites, but apparently they weren't the people. <laughs> Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they said? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. There he was, right in the middle of Moses and Ariam talking bad about Moses behind his back in secret. They were sinning secretly, and guess who was there to hear it? 
At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent and meeting all three of you. So the three of them carried, uh, the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of a cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. Then both of them stepped forward and he said, listen to my words. When the prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? In other words, why was it that you were not so afraid of me that you were willing to sin in secret? Why is it you don't have such a fear of the Lord that you are so willing to go back to that secret sin every single day. You don't fear God enough. You're willing to walk back into that sin. Why is it that you think that you're hiding it from me? I'm there. You don't fear me enough. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. When the cloud lifted above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Verse 15, so Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move until she was brought back in. You know what secret sin does? It prevents you from being able to move into the promises that God has laid out in your future because God is not going to let you walk into what it is he has planned for you until you have completely let him deal with you internally. Miriam was speaking against Moses. The entire nation of Israel, three million plus people, had to sit for seven days and wait to get to their promised land because of her secret sin. Fathers in the house, do you understand the magnitude that sits on your shoulders? Do you understand the magnitude of what you and I, as men, as fathers, as husbands, do you understand what we carry when we walk in our home? Do you understand the magnitude of our choices that if we want God to bless our family, God is going to deal with our sin first because it is us who leads this family. And if leadership is not in the right place, God is going to deal with it until we are in the right place. Otherwise, we can't move into what it is that he has for us. Secret sin stops our progress toward what God has promised. Go ahead. Go ahead. Start, start strumming. It makes me sound better when you strum behind me. Go ahead. <laughs> In the same way, God will not let you move forward into his plans and his promises for you until your sin has been addressed. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's getting a little heavy right now. That's good. God will not let you move forward into his plans and his promises for you until your sin has been addressed. You know what the devil does? The devil will come into your room and he'll whisper in your ear. As a matter of fact, it's happening right now. He'll come into this church service and he'll sit right next to you and he'll go, you can't tell him. Listen, don't go to the altar. Just deal with it right here in your chair. Just fix it right here in your chair. You just fix it right here. Jesus knows your heart. Don't worry about it. He'll, get, he'll take care of you. Don't, if you tell them, they'll judge you. Can I tell you something? I'd way rather be judged by you than judged by God. I'm going to say that leaning back because I believe it. I would way rather 
have you know all the dirt of my life and have you judged me for my short time on this earth then stand before my creator and have him judge me because I kept my, my sin a secret. You know what the Bible says about vines who don't produce good fruit? He cuts them off and he throws them in the fire. So I would way rather have God go through all the mess and the dirt and the grime and the difficulty and the hard work of pulling out my sin by the root than have him cut me off from the vine altogether. Can I tell you something about secret sin? From personal experience, it's messy. It's messy. It's hard. It hurts. It's dirty. But with my secret sin, what God told me, while I was busy reciting to one of my friends while I was a victim, and reciting to God while I had been done wrong, and reciting to God while I didn't need to forgive other people, you know what he said to me? The Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, I'll never forget, I love you enough to not let you leave your sin where you put it. I'll never forget those words as long as I live. I love you enough to not let you leave your sin where you put it. You know where I put it? In the back, where it was hidden, tucked away, where no one else knew about it. But what did God do? He goes in and he pulls it out. It's messy, it's dirty. It's ugly. It smelled bad. It was old. It was grimy. It was taking me to hell. What does he do? He gets rid of it. We're going to plant something new here. We're going to plant something new. You know why I'm going to plant something new? Because I'm faithful to complete the good work that I began until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm going to plant something new. Because I'm not done with you yet. No amount of sin you've committed has rejected you from me. Nothing that you have done has separated you from me as far as the east is from the west. You know why? Because I sent my son to bridge that gap so you and I can be in relationship. But you know what it means to follow Jesus? It means letting go of your past. Walking away from what was so you can have what he's promised. Two years ago I prayed two very dangerous prayers. You know God answers prayers, right? I learned God answers prayers. Two years ago, I prayed two very dangerous prayers. I prayed, God, break me. God, break me. And God, reveal the sin of my life that you want to deal with. And two years ago, God took me on a journey that flipped my life upside down. I had to move. I had to get a new job. I had to leave my home. But what God has done in my life the last two years when I said break me and reveal my sin is he has broken me of my pride and my arrogance and my my everything. And he revealed the part of my life that I didn't let him in on. And I am now free and I walk as a conqueror. I don't live like a victim anymore. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me, please.